Welcome to a VRL USA podcast. Um, this is Alan. I know it's been a bit of a hiatus with all sorts of things going on in the world, and but um, uh, we're here. I've got Robin, Rahul, and Zach, and we're going to try to be to um, not jinx ourselves. The last time we were had a podcast before we had a, a game against one of the big three, we. Um, our predictions weren't so good, so we're gonna we're gonna keep that in mind. But uh, we have to be fairly encouraged by how the team has been performing of late. I think especially the the Europa League matches um, were were fine, but the victory against Hatafe I think was really sweet. Would that somebody want to talk a little bit about that one in particular? Uh, I'll tell you what, let, let, let Zach go ahead on this one because I think his hero, El Casa, was on fire in that game. And even I've got to admit, he was absolutely fantastic. So, Zach, do you want to go on this one? Okay, first of all, we need some context here on the whole, like, Zach's hero, El Casa thing. Like, look, <laughs> I, told, I told you all in the beginning of the season, if you get the man the ball... In front of the goal, he's going to score. Like, I, I've never claimed that he's, like, the best striker on planet Earth. I, I, I told y'all back in January when we bought him that he was a good signing. You know, I, I'll claim being right about all that. But, look, he, he is what he is. He's not a great hitter in the ball. He's not lightning fast. But you give him the ball in front of the goal, and he is as good a finisher as exists anywhere on the planet. But, really, for his goal... Um, it wasn't, I mean, his collection finish was fantastic, but really it was the pass from Pal Torres over the top that I, that really just made the whole thing for me. Um, so I, Hitafe is a really good team. Um, I think with the press breakers we have now, they're not a good matchup for us. They always say styles make fights and, um, I don't think they match up very well against us. So I'm, I was glad to see that against a team that wants to come out and aggressively press us, that we could handle it well and get a good win. That's exactly why I set you up for an answer like that. That was <laughs> you, you nailed it there. To be honest, it, it was it was a fantastic. It was a really really good game to watch. Like it got to the point where we made it look easier than it was, and it was exciting to watch. You could kind of just see just how well Emery has set up the team. And how well we've adapted to his playing style. Like I, I, for one, I'm not a massive. Like when we were talking about formations at the start of the season, I was worried by what he was talking about and that kind of style. I, I am old school in sort of four four two, but I think it really it excited me watching it as well. Uh, it was a, it was a beautiful goal, and that that ball over the top. It was in, it was incredible. It was such a great goal, such a smooth move. Even like Mario Gaspar's pass across the box was pretty pretty solid as well because at the start of the season he would never have got it that that accurate so but yeah it was a fantastic game and yeah I, I'm I, I am the most cynical about Alcacer and I'm ready to admit that um but yeah no I enjoyed watching him in that game I thought he was doing more and we talked about this a bit on the comment section that I think Emery's addressed certain players um weaknesses and I wouldn't say no not weaknesses but he addresses some of the stuff that they're not as strong at and really brings that out in them. And I think that's a credit to Emery and it's also a credit to Alcacer for sort of developing that. I hope he can have the same success with Samu, but I doubt it. Um, I don't know, Raul or Alan, anything to add on that point? Well, um, go ahead, Raul. 
Um, yeah, so sorry, sadly I missed the game against Hetafe, but I've seen the highlights. Um, and yeah, there was, there was some really stunning football played. Like the goals Villarreal scored were excellent. Um, and I think the recent form has been very good, not just in terms of results. One loss so far this season to Barcelona. Um, the results have been good, a uh, couple points off the top of the table. But the style of play is actually something that's pleasantly surprised me. Villarreal playing really kind of good attacking football, a lot of combination play around the box. Um, and I think the key thing I've seen recently is the fullbacks kind of improving. Like we were all slating Mario Gaspar and even Pedraza at the start of the season. And in recent weeks, they've both looked pretty good, especially Pedraza at left back. He's also now. Yeah, I think um, I'm... I've always been a Pedraza fan, so maybe not. Uh, I'm not going to be as eloquent praising him as Zach about Alcacer, but I think he really has. I think the. I think he really has stepped his game up. And the thing I noticed, I know, early in the season, there were several people in the comments section that were always, you know, worry talking about. Um, Alcacer's body language didn't look right, or something. Well, you know, it's it's much. He he seems much heavier, much happier, much much more um, much more in sync with everything. I actually thought the third goal against Atafe was particularly impressive because how many strikers would have gotten the ball there and just gone for goal themselves? He, you know, immediately selfishly passed it to to. Um, to Gerard and watching that on replay, it's like that wasn't an easy ball to hit <laughs> where he hit it, and and uh, you know, so that was. I just th- th- think the team looks like it's clicking a lot better now. Um, it's interesting given that we've had so many injuries to deal with um, that we seem to have. Emery seems to have done a really good job at kind of one of the things we thought he would do, which is give a lot of players playing time and, and get and have some rotation. He's had to have a little more of it than he might have liked in some places because of injury. But, you know, here we are, um, 18 points after nine matches. I don't think we can feel bad about that at all. Do we think that we might... Do we, I, mean, I was listening to the radio today on for um, the Valencia radio and they were talking they were talking they were interviewing Roy and they were talking about all the signings and stuff do, do we think we'll sign anyone can we see any activity in January or do we don't need to do we or am I just being a bit daft like could we see us signing new players do we need to fill any positions it's it's a very tricky question I was thinking about earlier do you think um, <laughs> since since Francis Cocoline is apparently like Saying he's made of glass is too much of a compliment. Um, he just—he's—he's he's flimsy. Not only is he playing terribly, which is a, a whole rant into itself, but he's—he's he's hurt all the time. So if we're not—if um, we're not going to bring somebody back on loan to fill a uh, central midfielder spot, I, I would be happy if we were able to pick up a um, solid veteran defensive midfielder type uh, in January. I don't think we will, but I'd like to. 
Well, I think, Robin, this may have been a leading question because one of the things on the, uh, uh, on the Twitter this morning was that uh, Santi Caceres, is, his loan is ending in Mexico and it's not going to be extended. So I know, Robin, you have strong feelings about Senor Caceres. <laughs> I, I do like a, I do like an underdog, and I have been following the news, and I know there's a few other people on the blog that also do. I, I think with him, what I like about him is I think he's developed more. I think he he was he went on that loan, and I, I'm not an expert on South American football. I know we had a lot of comment sections about that, and it was really interesting to read actually when people were talking about the kind of him being Argentinian, Argentinian and playing in Mexico and that sort of stuff. I think he might have developed under the radar better than people might be expecting and what also is slightly excited me and I know this is going to sound like a slight you know I might be overhyping him a bit but he's been filling in at centre-back I believe as well which for mm-hmm. me is quite a is an interesting idea because I think he's quite short for a centre-back but then we've also had Mascherano in the past I'm not pronouncing that right I know has played a centre-back and he's a smaller stature as well so I'm wondering you know, if we bring him in, could he possibly play at centre-back in an emergency, considering he played there? So I would like to see him given a chance. I, I agree with Zach on, on Coquelin. I, I didn't know much about him before he signed for VRL, really. Um, but I have been worried a bit about kind of injuries and also just his general performance on the pitch. He's just he's disappointed me a bit, really. I don't know if that's been how Emery's been playing him and not understood him, or he just hasn't really played well. But what, what Raul... Uh, Alan, what do you think in terms of signing? Who would you like to see? Or it sounds like a very early on suggestion. Now, just because we meant we've signed, you know, we've reinstated, um, we've renewed the contracts of some of the younger players today. So mm-hmm. I thought it was quite an interesting theme to look at in terms of sort of transfers. That was the link. Um, yeah. um, well, in terms of signings, I'm not sure to be honest because Villarreal did spend a fair bit in the summer. And without knowing all the financial situation, I can't really see any kind of another multi-million pound signing coming in. I can see Caceres kind of coming back and possibly making an impact. Um, but I think a big thing that could happen between, say, now and February is that because Villarreal progressing really well in the Europa League, three wins out of three, if we're able to kind of secure um, a spot in the last in the knockout rounds for the Europa League, if there's the last couple group stage games could be a good opportunity to play fringe players, play some young players. There has been already so far, but it would be good to see more come through in those kind of games. But yeah, and also I agree on Cochrane. I think he's actually been quite disappointing as a signing because he's been, in the last couple of years, he's been really good for Valencia. He's formed a good partnership with Perejo there as well. But yeah, he's come in, he's put in some decent performances, some against Barcelona he was shocking. And then he's been injured on and off since he's always had a pretty poor injury record. Um so I agree that he's his position's one to keep an eye on if there's a possibility to kind of get another rotational midfielder in with him. But it's not worth writing him off yet, definitely not. It's on his day he is a really good player, but is kind of unreliability is beginning to show a little bit. Yeah, I, I think that's that's true. I think, I know when we, when the whole Valencia thing came down in the summer, people were, several people were saying, oh, we'd rather have Kongdobia than, uh, than um, Coquelin. And that 
but I think I don't know. It just it just seems to me that he and maybe partly it's been the injuries, but given the short off season and the limited amount of time you have with the new coach, you've sort of got to adapt quickly to change. And it just strikes me that he's maybe slower at adapting than some players are. And the fact that he's been injured has, has made it even slower. He feels to me the more, the most tentative of our players out there. And, you know, so I don't know, I don't think nine matches in, we can say we can write him off, but I do think that he's been the, the biggest disappointment so far in terms of, you know, when he's been on the pitch, I, he hasn't really added very much. Um, Parejo, to, to compare the two at the start of the season, you know, we were mm-hmm. like, well, are we going to see the, the Parejo, you know, and he has been over the last few matches, really blending in much better. And of course he's had injuries too, but he's, but he seems to be feeling his spot much better than Coquelin. So, you know, it just, it, it just takes time for different players to adapt. And, and um, he may, I mean, Emery knows him pretty well, but I just think he may just be taking more time to adapt to, to what Emery wants him to do in our system. I don't, I don't know, but that, but I think I would be very surprised if we sign anybody of any consequence in the, in the January window, because we just, as Rahul said, we, we spent a bunch of money in the summer. And if you look at our roster, it's pretty, um, there aren't many holes in it. And I think the one that you would say is if we could bring Caceres back and, and, and um, maybe he, he fills in at that at that uh, defensive midfielder and could be an emergency center back though. Yeah, he's pretty short, but you know, we've had short center backs on occasion. Mm. Well, let's, let's put a spin on it in in a more positive way. Which player for you three has really shined, shined the most in the last games and is probably the key reason that we are so high up the table. Is there a player that's really shone for you or is it just been an overall team uh, performance? I mean, for me, I would actually, yes, I imagine we're going to talk about, um, uh, you know, the, the strikers. But for me, I think Moy, Moy or Pedrasa have just really shined for me in terms of consistent performances all the time. So I, I don't want to give as much glory to the strikers because I think it is very much a team effort. But for me, I think Moy has really shined for me. And I know he is playing up top, but he's not a striker, is he? So for, for you three, who is the player that's really shined um, in performance-wise? I'm just going to, I'm just going to say right now, Robin, Stacy, praising, praising Moy. My work here is done. Yeah. We'll <laughs> blend the podcast here. <laughs> no. Yes. Go ahead, Zach. What do you, Consistency or, as well, which is amazing. Sorry, carry on. Yeah. Um, Zach, what, what would you say for your, if you could give two or three? I, I think it's hard to, to, put down just one guy because to me my favorite part about the early part of the season is because we've had injuries and because we've rotated so much for the Europa League you've seen so many different guys step up like I thought Carlos Baca was completely done and he looks completely revitalized in the Europa League and you know and I, I thought Pedraza was okay but not anything special and he's looked really great the last couple games and you know you just it, my, my 
Trigueros, you know, has, has stepped up and actually started playing defense on a level that I've never really seen him play before. I mean, just so many guys, when 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 people ahead of them got injured, stepped in and have filled the role. And I, I just, it, it's hard to point out just one in particular because it's been so many different guys who have stepped in and done it. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of there too. I think I think you know it's actually easier to list the the players who haven't really done that much um, than the ones that have because there are so many that have and it, and it really has depended on you know the opponent and the and the and everything. But I think certainly Moy Pedraza. Um, You'd have to say um, Trigueros. You'd have to certainly the strikers. Um, I think, you know, I think it's just been an overall team effort. I think there have been a couple of players who, um, you know, we mentioned Coquelin, and I think um, Samu is another um, who has not been as, I haven't seen the improvement there I wanted to see. Um, and then we got the whole Kubo situation um, where his playing time is is has been fairly limited. But I think overall, you just have to say it's been a it's been an excellent team effort. I don't I think everybody has been stepping it up. And, you know, with the exception of one bad match against Barcelona, um, we've we've looked um, very good. Yeah, I'd agree with all of that. Um, I think there, it's been such a good kind of team effort and there's a lot of unity within the team that there's a lot of uh, players who were previously this kind of not performing. They've all stepped up their game. Um, but yeah, a player who no one's mentioned so far is Paul Torres, that centre-back. And I think he's been absolutely phenomenal. And... His and not just defensively, where Villarreal conceded, I think, two goals in the last five league games, which is impressive as it is. But also, Powell's passing, I saw a stat the other day, I think he's completed one of the most, if not the most, passes in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. To do that from centre-back is incredible. And the last match I saw was against uh, Real Valladolid last Monday. And yeah, for me, I said in my article, he was probably the most impressive player out there. Um, and I think he is now becoming more and more crucial in the team just because of the way he kind of brings the ball out from the defence to the midfield, kind of even sprays passes all over the pitch. It's quite brilliant to watch at times, and I think he's now becoming, he's still young as well, he's becoming a really, really consistent defender now. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I thought last year in our uh, center back partnership that Albiol wasn't just the older of the two guys. He was he was the, the better player. And, and so we kind of led our back line from that. And I, I think that role has actually shifted to Powell now. That, that while Albiol is still the veteran leader in the back line, that Powell's play has made him the, the best center back we have and has made him really on the field uh, the leader of that back line. And I'm, I'm, I'm really thrilled with it. And I, I, not to go down the rabbit hole any, but I know we've got a lot of folks that are just convinced that somebody's going to come through and scoop him up and he's going to disappear. But I, I really think given the, uh, the current, what the current market still looks like in terms of big buyers and, uh, and his ties to the club, 
I need somebody that's going to be here for a while, especially if we have the success we're looking for uh, through Unai Emery being here. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point. I would say Powell has really um, has has you can just see the growth in in him um, under Emery uh, from from last year, and it's it's good because Albiol is you know a year older now. And so I think it it sort of takes a lot of pressure off him that he, but I, I agree it does seem like a changing of of the guard there. Um, obviously, our next two matches are going to be um, we'll, we'll have a we'll know a lot more about where we are um, after we play Madrid and Real Sociedad. Um, I want to take a quick break, and then when we come back, I want to talk about sort of what we've seen. Overall, in the league so far, there are there teams that have impressed us or surprised us with not being so impressive. So, back in just a moment. Okay, so Rahul, I'm going to start with you. So we're nine matches in. Real Sociedad are top of the table. Um, it's a little bit hard to gauge because not everybody's played the same number of matches, but. Who are you feeling most impressed about, and who are you saying, hmm, they're maybe not as good as I thought? Um, I'd say, yeah, Real Sociedad have played some excellent football this season. They're looking very, very strong. Um, a team that not many people have been talking about too positively is Atletico Madrid. Um, they're only three points off the top with two games played less, and they've scored the most goal or second most goals in the division and whenever I've seen them this season they've looked quite strong they look suddenly really good going forward they've had a couple games like the one against us where they didn't create anything but that partnership of Suarez and Felix up front could really do um, do a lot of damage this season and I feel like they're kind of gone under the radar because there's all, there's all this talk about how they've declined since 2015, 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're ones to keep an eye on. And I think Granada as well, their last game against Real Sociedad, they had a lot of players out with COVID and so they end up losing. But other than that, they've had a very strong start to the season and they've put in some impressive performances. So those are my two, I'd say, along with Real Sociedad and Villarreal, who I'd say keep an eye on them. And then if you're looking at disappointments, I think Barcelona and Valencia, although there was all this talk about before the start of the season about they might do badly, they have both been really inconsistent, both had some properly disappointing results. I think Sevilla as well, they've been really inconsistent. I thought they would kick on and throw in a title challenge this season, and they might still do, but then their, their start has not been the best. But it's all looking really close at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference between fourth place and, say, yeah, seventh is only a couple of points, and then it's really tight below that. So it's tough to pick out many teams who have struggled. Um, Celsa Viga, I think, just sacked Oscar Garcia, but so it'd be interesting to see what they do from there. I think their squad is better than what they're currently getting out of it. Um, but yeah, it's been a very, very interesting start to the season as a whole. There's been some really good games, really quite good shock results going on. Um, and yeah, long may it continue. Yeah. 
Robin, your favorite player got mentioned there early on, so I want to... <laughs> just, just cackling. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, so going down my route, so I, I've been impressed with Cadiz. I think that they, I was keen to see how they do at the start of the season. I feel like they're a bit of a kind of Leeds United, Hull City sort of Premier League where they've just come up and then they're going to shine for a bit and then they'll end up fighting down in a relegation battle. I, I hope not. But they're, they're very much like a really strong, hard-to-beat sort of team. And I really like that. I was impressed when, you know, when we played them and, and kind of how, how well they, they, they've been doing this season. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the Sable, I'm still laughing at Barcelona being down there. I enjoy that immensely. And I hopefully that will remain miserable and horrible for them for the whole season. That would be great. Atletico Madrid, yeah, they it's that horrible thing where you enjoy watching them. And they're kind of like, I think... Atletico Madrid have that kind of history of like they've chal- they've always challenged Real Madrid and Barcelona in the last few years, and I think we've always kind of all secretly wanted them to kind of beat Real Madrid and Barcelona. So I think they have a lot of fans in in the kind of across the whole league. Um, I I don't I mean I don't like Suarez. I hate hate Suarez, and that's well known. So I don't mind admitting that on a podcast. Um, but I do like Felix, and I do like Atletico Madrid in general um, as a team to watch. I like the physicality. So if if we don't win the league, then I, I hope they do. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then yeah, I suppose so for other teams, as you know, I'm I'm I I just follow really follow Villarreal, which I know is quite pathetic, but I that's the only team I really care particularly care about or watch. Um, so yeah, long may our run continue, um, and hopefully we do okay. Um, so yeah, probably moving on to Zach. Zach, what do you reckon? I'm um, I'm not as high on Atleti as a lot of people are. I, yes, they've scored 17 goals in seven matches, but 10 of them came in two blowouts. Um, I think they're a team that runs hot certain days, and when they run hot, they're going to mow over people. But overall, I just I don't think they're that good a team. I really don't. I think Felix is wonderful, uh, but I think Suarez at the age that he's at is, is going to be continually inconsistent in front of goal, and I don't think they have a whole lot behind him in terms of strikers. I, I really – I would not be surprised if we get to January and they're not really in the title conversation anymore, to be honest. Um, I think that uh, – Betis has played better football than they get credit for. Um, they, they're a little bit too reliant on uh, Nabofek here to create things. Um, but but they, they've been really fun to watch this year. Um, the team I've been most disappointed in has been Athletic Club. Uh, I, I thought, I think their roster is much better than the, the current 14th that they're sitting in. Um, five losses in their first eight games. Um their manager is under serious fire. Actually, Javi Kaleha was was linked with that job earlier today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can read about that on the site. But uh, that team's just, they've got way too many resources and way too much talent to be where they are. And I would expect to see them recover. They, they've got a couple tough matches here in a row. And then they've got a, a softer run of three fixtures before they face us right at Christmas. So I'd be expecting to see them move up the table yeah, I think for me the the um, uh, 
I think the Real Sociedad had been very impressive. I mean, I'm I'm a bit like Robin. I haven't seen that many matches either that that haven't involved us, and I've even had a hard time watching, you know, getting to see some of ours. But um, overall, I think the it strikes me as the the league is going to be more competitive this year. In part, I think because the top teams are having more financial constraints um, so that there's a little bit less of a difference um, between the between the say numbers four and seven and numbers one and three um, and then that is further exacerbated by Barcelona's problems right now and you know it, it's really a source of frustration to me with the with the one, really good match they played was against us, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think Sociedad, at the start of the season, I think we figured, at least I did, that probably, you know, the um, Atleti, Madrid, Barca would figure, would be in some sort of the first three in some order. And then fourth would be between Sevilla, um, us, and Real Sociedad. And I guess I still... Um, mostly see that, but I'm not so impressed with Sevilla. And and I have to say, um, you know, he's not on this podcast, but Sid said back before the season started, keep your eye on Granada. And I think that's, I, I've been um, impressed with how, they, how they've played apart from the last match, which they never should have had to play in the first place. Um, so yeah, I think the I think the struggle for for that last Champions League place or or is is going to be interesting. I I'd love to figure out a scenario where Barcelona falls apart to the point where they're not even in the top three or four, but I they just have too many um, advantages overall. I think that they'll they'll still end up in there somewhere. I think that's just one messy injury away. I think if Leo Messi gets gets hurt from four to six weeks I, I without him they're bad I mean we saw this last week and I don't know if y'all watched their match last week but the first half Messi didn't start and it, they were just awful they were completely lost couldn't couldn't do anything and then he comes on and they look like you know they look incredible for 45 minutes so I, I think they're a Leo Messi injury away from really falling off and not not even competing for top four yeah I'll see I'll see what I can do <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't want to wish injuries on anybody, but it's true that you know I think when you look at the at Barcelona over the last five years, the mystery to me is how they have gone from being reliant on Messi to even more reliant on Messi. It, it, it uh, you know, it just doesn't make they they just haven't done a good job of of building on their strengths, in, in my view. Um, and of course, it doesn't help that. Uh, uh, Fatih is now out for several months with, you know, you, you have a young um, breakout star and then he tears his knee up. So that, that doesn't help. But yeah, I'm Barcelona is, we're not convinced by their roster and we're not convinced by their coach. So there's that. Um, anything else? Uh, any quick predictions on what's going to happen the next couple of matches or should we not jinx it right now? I think we, I, I think it's, I think we have to acknowledge that when we play Real Sociedad, it's always a good game. It's, it's always, 
it's, it's an interesting game. It's very much, if I remember rightly, the last few games that we played, it's always been very counter-attacking and... I'm I'm looking forward to the next couple of games to see how we did. I mean, like we we haven't had easy games beforehand. Like we've grinded out the wins and we've done really well. I'm looking forward to seeing us challenge Real Madrid and Real Sociedad and seeing what we can do and really showcasing what we can do. It'd be interesting to see if we change up in sort of formations or structures to to tackle them. I haven't been watching Real Madrid this season at all. I don't know half their players to be honest with you. Um, do we think that we could? feasibly beat Real Madrid and Real Sociedad? Um, with Real Madrid, it's going to depend almost entirely on what back line they play. Um, if they, they can get one of their act, they've been playing Lucas Vasquez at right back and he's, he's been okay. Uh, but uh, Marcelo's an absolute disaster defensively at this point. Um, so if we if we come out there and they're playing Furlan, Mindy, and they get Audrey Thola or Nacho or Carvajal back at right back, and they've got Varane and then Ramos in the you know in the middle, I'm not going to be very optimistic. Uh, if they're playing Marcelo at left back, I don't see and that's the side that Gerard Moreno is attacking down. I don't see any reason why we can't you know score some goals in that match. Uh, the Real Sociedad one's going to be interesting uh, because. They're not as deep as we are, and they've got Europa League matches on either side of that, just like we do. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how full strength they are for that match. Um, I would suggest just preemptively to you know any of the readers of the blog who are listening, don't don't panic. If, if we face these two really good teams and things don't go great, don't don't panic. Don't start slamming the players in Unai Emery or anything. These are two teams that are probably going to be top four this season and if we come out with one point between the two games I think I'd be fine with it so just don't overreact to a a blip on the radar Okay. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree um, with that. I think it's a case of not getting too carried away when it goes both ways. It's been a really good run of form but yeah, it's still early days so I wouldn't get too kind of, oh we're going to win the league Um, but yeah, at the same time, even though Real Madrid have got a lot of injuries, they're looking a bit stuttery. They just, did just lose 4-1 to Valencia in a freakish game. Um, they are Real Madrid. They still have world-class players like Ben who, yeah, they all it will take is one moment where he will just score for the entire game to change. But I do think there's also the case of this. there's never been a better time to play them in recent years. And if Villarreal managed to get a result <clears throat> against Real Madrid, I think that would be such a big statement to make at this point in the season about mm-hmm. potentially securing a top four finish. Because I think that's been a problem in the last couple of years, not really beaten Real Madrid or Barcelona in, yeah, I'd say last two, three years. And it, sig- it signaled a big change in kind of the mentality that Emery's kind of instilling into the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would. I think I think when you look at it, though, probably the more important of the matches is against Sociedad um, because you're right that we generally don't... I mean, last year, I think we picked up one point against the top three. Um, I think we drew with Atleti or something, or maybe... No, I guess we had two points. We had two draws, one against Madrid and one against Atleti. And so far this year, we've played two matches and we have one point with the Atleti draw. 
I think the real key for us, though, is do you beat the teams that are expected to be competing with you for that fourth place? And, you know, so that and does that, you know, so defeating Sociedad would be great. I mean, I, I kind of agree with Zach. I mean, I hope for more than one point out of the six. I'd, I'd kind of like to get a win. I'd take a win and a loss, frankly. Um I think, but I would rather, I would rather, obviously we get as many points as we can, but I don't think, especially in this, it's still a weird season, right? I mean, we have, we have no fans in the stands. There's none of that hype and everything that you usually get. And to be honest, given the way COVID is going as we go into the winter, we don't even know if we're going to complete this season. So, (laughs) you know, I think, I think everything has to be sort of put in that perspective that let's, let's just enjoy it. I agree with Robin. When we play Sociedad, it's usually, um, it's usually a fun game to watch. We've had pretty good luck against them um, wherever we played them. So that's, um, that's kind of good. And Madrid, I, I always find it very difficult to watch when we play Barcelona because we just never seem confident to start, but the, the matches against Madrid the last couple of years have been pretty good. So I think it might be fun to watch too, but I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be too upset if we lose. I'll, I'll be happy and I'll be um, opening a bottle of champagne if we win, but we'll see. I I like how this, how we overrated the kind of ready game for the Barcelona thinking, yeah, we're going to walk it. And now we're (laughs) facing a similar threat and we're just massively pessimistic. And I really hope this, not massively pessimistic, we're still kind of positive, but I hope this doesn't backfire and we still jinx it in a weird backward way. But no, it's it's good to hear though. Like I, I think it's better to be realistic and I completely agree in the sense that I don't think we should, if, if it's a bad performance against his side and we don't do too well, then um, I think it's it's very it'd be very harsh to judge Emery and the team unless we have a spectacularly bad performance where no one actually tries. I mean, I remember against Real Madrid in the past. I just remember when I was there and I went to the Bernabeu Villarreal versus Barcelona. We put our really ridiculously defensive side, thinking that we just couldn't couldn't play against. You know, we weren't going to be able to match the attacking threat of. But I think I completely agree that this season, I think we could, if we go all guns blazing and we really, really just go out and attack and don't shy away from Madrid, then I think we can we can take the points um, if, if possible. <laughs> I said, well, you never know with these two teams, do you? But um, no, it's, it's great to hear, though. Um, yeah, you, yeah, you just never know with, um, as, as Zach said, I think a lot of it will sort of depend let's see how they line up and see, and see, um, I think we'll, we'll know more about our chances, um, perhaps with that. And, you know, it's just, it it is, it's coming back after an international break again, which is, which is always difficult. And, uh, and with the Europa League, I mean, one of the nice things about having the three wins in the Europa League is, is, um, you know, yes, it gives us more ability to rotate players. Um, the next match will be against Tel Aviv, I guess, there. Um, and so I would expect that we'll probably see a number of our of our uh, regular starters not even travel on that trip. I think they'll probably just, um, we'll probably take a weekend side and, and you know, figure we can we'll be okay with that. I mean, it won't be totally B-teamers, but it'll be, we won't have, um, uh, we won't take all of our 
all of our standard um, 11 and, and see how and on that trip. So, um, yeah, I think overall, you know, maybe we are trying to, to um, be over pessimistic after <laughs> being over optimistic. I don't know. But it's it's interesting that I think the um, nine matches in, I think we can all agree we're starting to see what we thought we would see when we hired Emory, which is a lot of um, sort of slotting some different, different um, attempts to match what we're trying to do against the team we're playing more than um, the just put the standard 11 out there in the standard formation and let them do their best. So I'm I'm kind of excited by that and really um, disappointed, of course, that um, all of these matches are, are closed doors and prospect of doing anything else for a long time is not there. But we do what we can. So any any last? I just last... Like to say how much how much I hate international breaks. I mean, like yes. having international friendlies during a blooming pandemic is the worst. I mean, they're bad enough anyway. But it's stupid. Time. It's absolutely stupid. It's like why why are we having these meaningless matches? You know, and flying flying people around around Europe for them. It makes absolutely no sense. I I totally agree. We, we could well, we could rant for an hour about that to to discuss. What what are people's? I'd be interested to know people's opinion on VAR in in general because it's really topical at the moment and it feels like something we could mention in the final minutes of this podcast. What what do we think? I mean, I don't know if any of you saw it, but there was a Leeds incident this weekend where Bamford's hand was offside because he was pointing where he wanted the ball. Um, yes, I, I, I saw that. Wonder what else about VAR. <laughs> Well, I'll say what I've said all along, which is that the problem with VAR is that people are trying to make it into something that it's not because you're, you've got a certain, you're, you're, you're freezing frames and you're, and you have a, trying to call an offside by three inches makes no sense to me when the, the resolution of the, of the timing is, is far greater than that. So to me, I'm, I my biggest problem with VAR is is really that that it's it's changing so many things into millimeter decisions and they shouldn't be. the The whole point of the offside rule was to not get an unfair advantage. I can't imagine that a millimeter is a is a fair is an unfair advantage. So I have problems with that. Um, I, I think that's the biggest problem. Is I I just think it's being used in ways that it was never should never have been intended to be used. Yeah, I, I agree on that. Is that it's kind of the original concept of VAR was good. I fully backed it coming in. I was so sick of seeing stupid offside decisions, stupid refereeing decisions. And I, I backed it on the basis that it would kind of undo clear and obvious errors, which is what I said it would. But then the idea of kind of disallowing a goal because someone's shoulder is a millimeter offside. It just doesn't seem right, and it takes the excitement out of celebrating a goal, knowing that it could be easily ruled out over nothing. And I think it's affecting attacking players because they're now constantly thinking, is my shoulder marginally offside here when they're trying to kind of beat the offside trap? And I don't think there's an easy solution. I don't think they should get rid of it, but I feel like they can easily reform it so we can hear kind of decisions that the VAR referees are making when they're kind of making a decision 
vision because right now all you just see is lines on the screen and you don't know what they're thinking and I think that's a good step to make and there should also be a case of kind of referee's judgment it'd be like in cricket I don't know how well you know the sport but they have umpires call even after looking at the technology and if it's very very close they stick with the umpire's original decision right and I feel like that should be a thing with referees that they can kind of give their decision based on um looking at the technology if it's so so close they give the, even if it's like a millimeter offside they can go with the original decision rather than trying to kind of get rid of goals because the aim of football is to score goals it's meant to be celebrating you don't want to take away the like the concept of celebrating a goal it just ruins the game really but yeah i'm not an advocate of getting rid of it i think there is a lot of merit to be had by using technology but they just need to make it more consistent Zach? I hate it and it's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those things, and I think Rahul brought up a great point, that like the exuberant, I mean, you work so hard to score a goal in this sport, and then, you know, somebody can score, and they can't, they and the fans can't even celebrate because you got to wait three minutes to so that the guy that should have gotten the call right to begin with can go check a video monitor. It's, it, I would rather they miss calls and us get to celebrate goals and argue about the goals in the pub after the match than, than this stupid time-wasting. We never get this time back the way we should. No. Oh, I, I just I hate VAR entirely. I really hate video review in most sports. I feel like we went – over a hundred years without it, I don't see why we need it. I have to feel like referees and their mistakes are part of the game. Um, if you insist to me that there's no way we can ever get rid of it, um, I think the way they do it in rugby union, I watch a lot of pro 14 rugby. And, you know, when you're, when they do a video review on that, you can, they, the referee is mic'd up and you can hear what he's saying. And he's discussing the call and explaining it to everybody right then in live time. And it's short and it's done. And they just, they move on. Yeah. And, and if we could get it where it functioned something like that, where it was quick and it was well explained and everything, great. But this crap they do right now where it takes a ton of time and we're arguing over, you know, something that's such a small difference that the human eye never could have caught it to begin with. I, I, I can't stand it. It drives me crazy. I, I, a lot of times, and when I'm not watching La Liga, I do this a lot. I will watch lower division football just so I can get away from VAR. Okay. I, I can't you, you may have heard our, our cat, Rosabella, is obviously agreeing with you um, in the background here. Now, I, I kind of, I am not quite that, that uh, extensive, but I do, I will say this, is that I feel like association football took everything that was worst about American football um, video reviews and, and implemented it because we saw this happen in the NFL in this country where after a year or two of using video reviews, you can't even define what a catch is anymore. You know, I mean, it ought to be easy to define when you catch a football, you know what it is. <laughs> but with the video reviews, there are so many so many little nuances that that is gone. And it's the same thing. It's like guy catches a pass for a touchdown and he can't celebrate because who knows, somebody may decide he was actually juggling the ball or something. It's just stupid. And I, 
I do see the value of video review in in soccer because we only have one referee on the pitch and the two linesmen. So, for example, there are going to be handballs in the in the box that that the referee is blocked from seeing. You know, Ramos swatting the ball against Valencia with his with his free arm. Um, wasn't something that the referee saw at first, and and VAR showed it to him, you know, clear and obvious penalty. But that's it. I mean, and and all of this, I don't understand why it takes so long for the referee to even go over and look at it. I mean, I it, it ought to be bam, bam. I'm you know, there's a question. I'm stopping the play. I'm looking, I'm, and as Zach said, explaining to people what it is. But I don't think La Liga is doing it any worse than anybody else. I just think it's bad overall. Yeah, that's why. That's why I thought it'd be worth talking about because I, I think it is a very interesting for me. I think they should just not use it for offsides at all. Like, just no, just trust the referee and the linesman because that is the most viewed. Yes, the linesman will get it wrong and people will go offside, but then it's just not as rigid about it. But then I completely understand VAR. Like, so for me, I think the biggest, the best invention of technology in football was the goal line thing. So if the ball crossed the line of the goal or not, because that, mm-hmm. that's foolproof, that's really good. And as, as England fans, we know in the World Cup with Germany and that Lampard <laughs> goal, which wasn't allowed, and I have to bring it up because that invention would have been great if you'd mentioned it in the bloody World Cup when we needed it. But <laughs> I, I do acknowledge that I think that that was the best invention in football. VAR itself, I, I just personally, I don't think it should be used for offside at, at all. Um, I think I, I'd rather the linesman get it wrong than rely on VAR for offsides. Handballs and free kicks, maybe the odd review. I think we have to acknowledge, and I hate to admit this, but I don't want to become one of these teams that I think that VAR has worked has been okay for us as a club, as a team, because we have had a few decisions which have been overruled by VAR or have helped in our favour. I don't, I don't think that's because we're VRL or anything. I think that's just obviously the luck of it all. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd want to see it reviewed and re-looked at and how they use it and also maybe to teach the people that are making the decisions the rules of football would be quite handy. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So yes. I've gone off, gone off Fred again, so I'll go back to you on that one, Alan. Yeah, no, I, I just think it's a real um, it's a real difficult thing to... For one thing, the rules of football were not written with VAR in mind. So to use your example of the guy pointing, you know, yes, technically that's offside because it's, it's no, actually it shouldn't have been because he can't, he can't hit the ball with his hand to score a goal anyway. So that shouldn't be, that shouldn't be offside. I mean, I don't get that. I don't think anyone really understood the rules. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but but Zach, the but the point is is that you got anything to add on that, Zach? Well, I just there's and I don't know if y'all agree with me on this or not, but with, part of why we watch sports is to see the upsets, to see the the unexpected results, right? If every result went exactly the way we thought it was supposed to go, then it wouldn't be nearly as compelling or exciting. And if you, even if you magically made it so that every single call in a football match were right, I still don't think I'd take that deal because what, what happens is if every single call over the course of 90 minutes is right, I think that makes it more likely that the more talented team, and in football's case, the more expensive, more you know, high-priced team 
wins a higher percentage of the time. I don't think that's what we want. I, I think we want the unpredictability. And part of that unpredictability is sometimes a guy scores with his hand and we don't realize it. Or sometimes, you know, a guy uh, gets away with a grab that we don't see. And it adds to the unpredictability of the sport. And, I, you know, I think you lose that. And before we've already got gigantic um, inequalities in terms of resources, you, you don't want, if everything's called according to the, the precise rules, the bigger teams are just going to win an even higher percentage of the time. And I don't think we want that. Yeah, that that could be. I just I just find that it's if you look at it in terms of a cost benefit ratio, the benefits that we're getting from it are are fairly small, <laughs> and the cost is huge. I mean, we're as as Zach said, we're taking away the celebration, we're taking away a lot of we're we're getting into the deep weeds of um, of you know we should not be. We should not be arguing about whether somebody is an inch or two offside, and that, and that taking a goal off because they were off because their foot was over a, a line that we drew on the pitch. The question of the rule is: Are you doing anything that that gets you an unfair advantage? And if you're not, then play on. And I and I think. You know, it goes back to that idea that the tie should, or if you think it's a tie in your mind, you let you you let play go on. You let you let the guy score the goal. It it should be about scoring. It should be about um, the flow of the game, not this constant stop every five minutes to to waste three minutes to look at a, at a VAR review. So, I mean, I think we're all in agreement on on that to to various degrees. I just. I just question. It, it seems to be something that is that is uh, everybody wants a wants a truth, and the reality is sometimes truth is squishy. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes truth is what you make it. And you know, I think everybody wants this. Yes, he was offside. No, he wasn't offside. And the reality is always going to be different and you, you you can never totally tell so i i'm kind of i kind of like that sense of we can still argue five years later about a play you know we can argue about um something that that maybe we or we can talk about something like maradona's hand of god that we all know was illegal it was allowed and it's a famous thing in the in the literature, you know, in in the in the history. We can talk about as we did on here not too long ago the whole Suarez uh, Ghana thing, and I mean that's the fun of the sport is being able to talk about things where you don't all agree. That's what I found quite ironic because you had all these pundits. Uh, I don't know if you watched much today, but you had all these pundits screaming for technology and complaining about referees, and now. We've got it. They're complaining about the system that they would have, they were crying out for. So it's quite ironic. But you know, I completely agree on that. I think it's, it's, it's so. But I mean, I, I personally prefer if we didn't have VAR at all. Like I, I miss the old days. I really do. Um, yeah. So I, I was never a massive advocate, but that's probably because I didn't understand it or didn't even know about it. Probably just missed the news. Um, but like I said, I, I do like the the goal line technology. I think that's very important. Um, but yeah. 
started a new tangent. Uh, we haven't even mentioned VRL for the last 10 minutes. So I know. Well, well, we, we sort of did. But yeah. Um, yeah. I, I just, yeah, I think it's a good, I think it's probably a good, a good thing to end on, but yeah, it, it seems to me that we, that part of what's happened too is that when people agreed to use it, it, it was sort of left to the individual leagues and whatnot to implement it as they saw fit. And I'm not sure that everybody who thought it was a good idea going in would have thought it was a good idea if they had known how it was going to be used. That's all I'm, that, that's my thing. I thought it was really going to be more for, you know, free kicks and, and, uh, and uh, awarding penalties or not for, you know, but even so it's like, it still ought to be up to the referee to say, Okay, yeah, I it's it's a handball, but it's incidental contact, contact or whatever. It just seems to me that there's too much trying to make everything in the black and white. So, so I'm you know I'm I'm going to agree with Zach. I hate it. <laughs> I think we all agree. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anything else Virial related before we wrap up? Or shall we shall we just tell everybody to make it through another week of the international break, and we'll be back probably. Um, We'll, we'll do another one of these tail end of next week once we know a little more about how the international break went and what um, our lineup and Madrid's lineup might look like. Um, we, we do have, because uh, the Villarreal extended the contracts of Jeremy Pino, uh, Fernando Nino, Alex Bayana, and uh, the goalie. Oh, Jor- oh Jorgensen. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Um, and uh, so we, I've got um, highlights of all of them on the on the website. Um, uh, although the stupid La Liga makes you go actually to YouTube to see the the goal that I put on there from Fernando. Uh, but I'm really excited about those young players. Yeah. And you can read about them on our website. Excellent. All right. Well, for for Zach for. For Rahul, for Robin, this is Alan saying, stop VAR and uh, end the Vireal, I guess. (laughs) So have, have a good week, everybody.